that in the ancient world, like this at this time, what Caesar has done and what other kings did in their realm where they had authority, they would produce images so that people in that realm, when they entered that realm, whether they looked at coins or currency, or they looked at statues, murals, wherever they could put their image, it made any visitor or any citizen aware that wherever you see their face and their image, that place is their realm of authority, that they are the absolute law and ruler. So when he tells Adam and Eve who have been made in his image and likeness to be fruitful and multiply and spread throughout the earth, the idea is that the image of God in the face of man is now spreading around the globe so that it's understood anywhere you see humans, you should understand that God is the ruler and authority in that place because they, they bear his image. think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. Welcome back to the Take and Read podcast, everybody. So excited because this week I actually have a guest. I'm so excited. <laughs> I did the I did the podcast in this last episode by myself and that for anyone who's ever had to look into a camera and and have a conversation with no one, it's a very interesting experience. But I have Casey Noble with me today. How are you, Casey? I'm well. I'm the best podcast the guest best guest you've had in 2 weeks. That's right. Right? <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Is there a word for me? Best yep. guest in the last two episodes. So so excited to have you. Uh, yeah, and I'm glad to not be alone on this. So it's not like I had a long list and you were like the bottom of the list. I actually tried to get you last week, but you had life happen. So life. Yes. so we scheduled for a time that did work, and here we are. I'm so glad you. Thank you so much. So how are things where you are in Texas? Things are well. They're moving and the change of seasons is lovely and change a little slower pace, which is enjoyable. Last time I was here, we were at a fast pace. So a little right. slower pace. Look, yeah. Looking forward to that. How are things in Montana? They're good. Uh, we too have, you know, change of season and uh, getting used to some colder temps. We but, had some excitement. So here, so uh, I saw your wife's post. Right. I have two questions. So okay. the post said that your kids were out sledding every night. Yes. So that's my first. I want to know lots of things about sledding at night in Montana uh-huh. in November. And then <laughs> there is a bear living in, I mean, a bear, a bear. Yes. Living in the yeah, tree so that they're sledding under. <laughs> really good questions. So sledding at night, I think that that's due to the fact that because because we moved from a climate in Texas that got snow so rarely, the excitement of snow is is still very present for my kids, and so they're wanting to take every opportunity to enjoy it and to play in it. I mean, they, they're not going to lose an opportunity. So they get done from school and it gets darker here sooner. 
And so they get done from school, they get homework done, and then they immediately go out. And there's a little sled hill uh, that they've kind of developed right at the, so our driveway, we've got kind of a long driveway that goes downhill. And at the end of the driveway, the street is there. On the other side of the street, this hill is, and it kind of, it's a, a slow kind of sloping hill that goes down into this little valley and there's a park right in front of our house. And so they go out and they put headlamps on their, their heads and they go sled in the dark and it stays cold and the snow is glides well. And so, yeah, they do the thing. I love that. that. But, but what we discovered, uh, just uh, a few weeks ago, they were sledding. Well, I come home from lunch on a Thursday and I noticed that in that little park uh, on the opposite side of our driveway there on the other side of the park, which is, I don't know, the park's a couple hundred feet wide. There is a, a grove of pine trees and I see a truck that is backed up a, a large kind of trailer trap thing that is a bear trap. And I'm, I'm kind of looking at it and I'm watching it and I see people walking around it. So I walk down there to find out what is it, what is it, is there like a, a Wolverine or is it what's in there that they're trying to trap? Cause it's clearly a trap. A oh, no. <laughs> maybe maybe where you are. Yeah. So I walk down there and as I get closer, I look up in the tree and I see this black mass about 20 feet up the tree. And as I get closer and closer, it is a very large black bear that is just chilling in the branches. And it's huge, a huge I black mean, bear. Just like resting. He, yeah. Lay, laying over resting. a couple of branches, just kind of getting a, an afternoon nap in or something. So I go and I start talking with the folks that are there, the the fish and wildlife folks. And, and I'm like, yeah, so you know, what's, what's the plan here? And they're like, well, we put a bunch of bait in the trap and he'll come down eventually. We just have to keep our distance and stay away. But I'm like, I'm probably, I don't know, 30 feet from him and I'm taking pictures and videos and he just is un, undeterred. He's going to take a nap. And some of the other neighbors are there and we're chatting and talking. And, and so they ask us to leave. So we kind of let, let the activity die down. So he may come down and, and go into the trap. So later in the day, my wife is out there and they've trapped the bear. The, the trap is closed. He's in the trap. It, it worked. And so my kids get to go and see him after school. They're looking through the little slits in the trap and he's huge. He's making noise and kind of grunting and groaning. And they determined he's a 400 pound, about six feet tall male black bear that's like 16 years old. So he's kind of old and he's big for a black bear because that's not our greatest threat around here. What we have are grizzly bears and they're, they're a lot bigger. And so black bears are not as feared, but it's still a bear. Yeah. It's still a bear. The, cha- the, the annoying thing, or maybe the unnerving thing about this whole thing that the gentleman, our neighbor who lives across that park and his property is right on the edge of where those trees are. He tells my wife that he knew the bear had, had shown up around Sunday and had dug out a den at the base of that tree since Sunday. Well, this is a Thursday. And between Sunday and Thursday, my kids had gone out for two evenings sledding, and their sleds would end not far from the base of that tree every night with headlamps on. 
And he proceeds to assure my wife, don't worry, I w- every time your kids were out sledding, I was watching the bear and I was just making sure he didn't do anything. <laughs> so, so no, I'm trying to process this. I know he wants us to be assured, but it's more alarming than assuring because what is he going to do? What is homeboy going to do to get the bear to not eat my kids? Right. Like this is the point where you know that the bear is engaged. Yes. And at this yeah. point, it's too late. <laughs> it's too late. Too late. So is he going to like shoot it while it's heading towards my kids? Because that's not safe. I, I and it's interesting that he didn't report it sooner. I don't know. There's a lot of mystery around this. We have. I um, I just love that you have a bear story. I we love got it. a bear story. It's okay. so cool. It's awesome. Anyway, that's that's what's new in the Warren home. Well, that's the first thing I asked her. It's like, how did you find out there was a bear? You're missing the important story. How did you find it out? Yeah, it was good. It was good. All righty. Well, anything new with your clan? Nothing worth mentioning. Everything's okay. well. Yep. We're just, yeah, we're just kind of chugging along. along. Yep. Okay. Really looking forward to starting Advent. Uh, yeah. In, in your kind of personal walk with the Lord, is there anything in particular he's been preciously, patiently showing you as you spend time in the Word or with other believers? Yes. It's a, he, in some time in the Word. As I've been prepping for Advent, just reading through the Nativity story again and, you know, how God put on flesh to come Mm -hmm. well with us, I have been mulling in my head. You may be able to share some light on this. I have been mulling in my head the thoughts that God sending his son to earth and giving him humanity, giving him flesh to come to earth, I've obviously always recognize that as an act of love for us Hmm. but the act of love that it would have had to been for christ too so for god to give jesus humanity was an act of love for jesus as well like an act of love that jesus received or that jesus acted out like he was acting in love towards well, us no, by I've taking always, on flesh. We've always considered that. You know, of course, I've always known that it was an act of love for Jesus to willingly, you know, put on humanity. Right. And it was an act of love of God on our behalf to send his son. But because they dwelt, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelt in perfect harmony, perfect love, it would have also had to have been an act of love that God sent Jesus and here's why I think here's I have I have a basis for this okay it would have because because they were dwelling in such perfect love just the three of them right right Jesus had such a love for us that the father's act in sending the son was an act of love for the son to, to allow him to allow him do you see what I'm saying there? I do. I do. It's a little if, risk. It's a little mold in my head, but I'm like this. I've always considered the act of love God toward us and and Jesus toward us, but I've never rec- I've never seen the act of love. It would have been that evident, like that perhaps 
Jesus's love was so strong for us that it was an act of love toward the Father, from the Father toward the Son to say, yes, go rescue my people. Yeah, so he, yeah, uh, Jesus sees his bride or his creation Mm -hmm. struggling and in harm's way, but is being restrained till a particular time. And so the father looking on and seeing the love of the son for the creation and the father's own love for the creation that he kind of says, okay, I'm no longer going to hold you back. Yeah. You can go now. And that's an act of love, like giving him, allowing him opportunity to go and fix it. Yeah. Okay. I see it. Um, so that's just, fun. How did you, like, you just been kind of thinking, processing that? How, where'd that come no, from? You know, just thinking about the relationship that existed before the foundations of time. Yeah. And you know, just considering, you know, in thinking about, you know, when we think about Jesus being born, we have to consider all those implications of, we, we can't mm-hmm. forget about the Trinity in that. And yeah. to really dive into the consideration that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are three in one. Right. And very practically, God dwelt among us. You know, so just what does that mean? What does that mean for the Spirit? What does that mean for this Father? What does that mean? You know, anyways. And I, I just, I don't know what made me think of that. That's good. Yeah. But that's, so like that's, that. that's been kind of turning in my head, just considering like what, what what might have been the dynamics that I can see in Scripture that existed? I like that. I like that. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing. And yeah, yeah as that continues to simmer in the crock pot of your mind, I'm excited to see what else comes out. I'm All right. Too. Well, we are in Mark chapter 12. Okay. We're still staying steady, and uh, we're going to keep going here. We are in Mark 12, 13 through 17, a short little section. And, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so we, we, we locate, uh, we locate this in terms of the, the, the life of Jesus as well as the narrative in Mark of that life and ministry. And he is in Jerusalem. He's entered, he's been there a couple of days now. He's engaged with the religious leaders and authorities most recently, and they tried to test him uh, a little bit earlier towards the end of chapter 11, trying to ask him by what authority he does these things. He kind of, you know, switches it on them and says, well, let me ask you this. I'll, I'll tell you by what authority, if you can tell me, where did John's, John's baptism come from? Is it mm. from heaven or from, from man? And they're like, we, we don't know. Cause they're afraid they're, they don't, well, if we say this or that, you know, so they're, they're afraid of losing authority and they're testing his authority. And he demonstrates his mastery and authority by giving them a question that they, they are unwilling to answer or cannot answer. So then he continues to teach them and he teaches them a parable after which they hear it. They immediately realize he's talking about them. And they're not very happy about that because it puts them in an extremely bad light and it it indicts them in a way that is unmistakable. And he talks about the vineyard and and a landowner has a vineyard. The tenants keep killing the the people sent to go collect fruit. And eventually they kill the son thinking that they get to have the vineyard. And then the owner has to come and, 
and basically kill them. And and so he's he's saying something against him. So now we enter the scene of this next section. And so Jesus is still in Jerusalem. We're reading out of the English Standard Version. At least I am. What do you have? Mm, I've got uh, CSB and uh, NET. Okay. That was two good ones. So the Christian Standard Bible and the New English Translation. Sweet. All righty, here we go. Uh, Starting in chapter 12, verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Okay. So let's uh, let's kind of diagnose here who what the scene, who's there, and yeah, what's what's going on around this scenario. So what do we got here, Casey? We got a lot. That yep. Just contextual understanding here. Mm-hmm. So we understand Where's- he's still in Jerusalem. There's no mm-hmm. explanation that he's left. And in Jerusalem, you have they sent to him, and that could be the. Religious leaders that are mentioned in the previous passage, the the elders, the scribes, the Pharisees. Like the same but, Sanhedrin that ends up crucifying. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we would understand that it's some sort of Jewish authority that has sent these, these additional people to test him. Uh, and the people that are sent to test are Pharisees and some of the Herodians. Okay, what do we understand about... The Herodians. Anything? Any thoughts come to mind? Well, I, I have a real just fundamental understanding that they were people that supported the kingship of the Herods. Yeah, so right. the Herods would be uh, a a political group that has allied itself with Rome that is a Jewish political group. And so Rome has kind of allowed them this kind of posture or position of kingship that's it's nothing more than a political position it's not a, a true kingship mm-hmm. in Jerusalem because the ultimate authority would be Caesar or Rome and so I think that, that definitely yeah and it definitely plays into what's happening here that there's this political alliance and they've and so there, there's very much I think this view at that time that the Herodians being this political party that's kind of kowtowing to the Romans is they're kind of sellouts to a certain degree, but they have sway and they have power. And we see in the trial of Jesus, Herod play a particular role uh, in that. And so it's, it's important to note where these folks come from. Uh, What else do you see there in terms of context? Well, um, I think it's important that we understand just some basic things like, what's a denarius? Mm. 
Yeah. Who so you have. So you have. Uh, yeah, they're talking about taxes. Uh, that understanding that Jerusalem at this time is a territory of Rome, and so it's a part of the Roman Empire, and it's occupied by the Roman uh, government. Therefore, all citizens within that territory have to pay taxes to Caesar. That's that's a, how it would work. When when Rome would come in and conquer a territory, they wouldn't just kind of enslave everybody. They their their effort was to allow commerce and life and culture those things to continue to exist because uh, they found that the when the people were thriving in their original context, then ultimately Rome just wants citizens that are paying taxes and expanding their influence and their power. So that's what's happening in Jerusalem. What did the Pharisees, were they pleased to pay taxes? Was it begrudgedly? The Pharisees? I'm sorry, the Jews. Would would the Jewish people under Roman authority, would they have been like, to about paying the taxes or would it just been a part of life or... I think they were probably very displeased. Yeah. <laughs> I well, think just that about Matthew, how Matthew was so hated as the tax collector. Uh-huh. And if people, you know, I'm just putting together that little triangle Yeah, there. so, and he was hated because the reputation of Jewish tax collectors that were collecting the Roman tax for Caesar would often take advantage because there was no parameters or limit to how much they could inflate the taxes for their own personal gain. So Matthew, who writes the the Gospel of Matthew, becomes one of Jesus' disciples, and the reality is that tax collectors were a despised group because they were they were heaping even further burden on the Jewish people more than the Roman government was. And so, so I just think it's interesting that for something that nobody wanted to pay taxes. And it's interesting to see the Pharisees and Herodians who probably weren't allies. Right. Yeah, there was probably some tension there. They're coming against Jesus, right? They're Mm -hmm. they're teaming up to come against Jesus, utilizing an issue that they're both mad about too. So they're utilizing taxes that none of them want want to pay. And they're enemies who have now teamed up because... The, the enemy of my, my yeah so was, there's a an enemy of my enemy is my friend friend yeah <laughs> possibly yeah and they're yeah, using so, something that they they don't they're using paying taxes all of a sudden they're like well who who should we pay taxes to you know like it's right there, almost a, a seemingly of, innocent kind of hey we're all friends here no one likes taxes so hey great teacher you you don't you don't care right. about what anyone thinks. You, you don't care about appearances. You don't care about any of those social conventions. So, and you just teach the way of God. So tell us. It's a beautiful study of manipulation. Oh, totally. Like they're totally trying to play him. Totally trying to play him. And he, obviously it says here that knowing their hypocrisy, he's like, okay, so tell me that. What's the hypocrisy that he identifies. It, it does not make it clear in the text, so it, it should be something that maybe we can deduce just by what we know about the Pharisees, the Herodians, what they're up to. Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I would see the hypocrisy, because 
gosh, that's a great question, Chad, because I would see the hypocrisy there as you, you yourself have said that I'm not worthy of that as Christ, that Christ is not worthy of merit or attention or being given any sort of value. But yeah, right here you say, oh, great teacher. Look, you're, you are a great teacher and, and we know that you can't be swayed. You're, you're such a man of integrity. And is that, yeah. is that hypocrisy? I, I think there's that, that could be in a very kind of primary sense. The hypocrisy is they don't think he's a great teacher. They don't think that he's teaching the way of God. And so he knows that they don't think that. And yet they're saying that in order to try to get him to say something that might might get him in trouble. Mm-hmm. It might be a means by which they can say he's inciting opposition against Caesar because it seems like they want him to say, you know, the, the very obvious kind of political rebel thing to say would be, you don't pay taxes to Caesar. Mm-hmm. We don't yeah. owe him anything, right? I mean, that, it's, that's what it seems like they're trying to build him to say. And he doesn't, he doesn't satisfy, he doesn't satiate their desire by giving into it. And I think the hypocrisy is, you don't think I'm a great teacher. You don't. And the other, I think another layer of hypocrisy has to be the many times that Jesus has accused the Pharisees in particular of heaping up extra burdens on the people. Mm, yeah. And here they are trying to appear like, hey, we would love it if you t- told us that this extra burden that Rome has put on us through taxes is unlawful. And yet they have made so many erroneous kind of laws and rules and burdens that they've heaped up on the people, possibly Mm -hmm. even like temple taxes and things like that, that are not according to God. And so they themselves have been a source of burden. And now they're trying to accuse Caesar maybe of being a burden in that. So I don't know if that's a layer of hypocrisy as well, but. It seems like that's uh, that's behind the scenes here, but I think the obvious hypocrisy is what you pointed out. Uh, you you mentioned that the denarius. I think that's something to, to take note of. My my Bible here gives a, a very kind of straightforward footnote that a denarius was a day's wage for a laborer. So you think in our context, what would be minimum wage and an eight hour day? So whatever a minimum wage worker would make in eight hours. That is, that's one denarii or denarius, I guess. And so. uh, And Jesus didn't have one on him. Nope, he didn't have one. Or or he didn't want to use the one he did. Yeah, he's patting his pockets. He's like, I I, I got nothing. Yeah. So um, he asks them, why put me to the test? Bring bring me a denarius. Why, you know, this this is frivolous. So they bring the coin. He says, let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, look who's like, so who who's on this? Whose face is on here? And it, obviously Caesar. He's like, okay, well then, this is Caesar's piece of metal with his face on it, so pay him his pieces of metal, whatever, however many pieces of those metal with his face on it, he gets, so just pay that. However, um, everything that has God's face on it, God's image, mm. that belongs to him. And that immediately, immediately takes me back to Genesis 1. Right. We're immediately back at We're at the beginning, right? The idea that in the ancient context, 
when when God says in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Male and female, he made them in the image of God. That in the ancient world, like this at this time, what Caesar has done and what other kings did in their realm where they had authority, they would produce images so that people in that realm, when they entered that realm, whether they looked at coins or currency, whether they looked at statues, murals, wherever they could put their image, it made any visitor or any citizen aware that wherever you see their face and their image, that place is their realm of authority, that they are the absolute law and ruler. So when he tells Adam and Eve who have been made in his image and likeness to be fruitful and multiply and spread throughout the earth. The idea is that the image of God in the face of man is now spreading around the globe so that it's understood anywhere you see humans, you should understand that God is the ruler and authority in that place because they, they bear his image. The one true God most high. Yes. So in a sense, we're all coins with mm-hmm. his face on it. Every with his human. Face on it. Yep. And so he's, He's drawing the point here. Okay, yeah, yeah. It, 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 you see these metal pieces with his name, his face stamped on it? Give him give him his pieces of metal back. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But just realize that in the same way that he has authority to tell you what taxes and anywhere you see his coinage or currency that he's the guy in charge and he can tax you whatever he wants, realize that wherever God's image, wherever his his face is stamped, his image is stamped, he has authority, which is every human. He has authority over in every place a human exists. He has authority. It's super cool. It is. And it's masterfully. It's a, a perfect retort. I know it's from Jesus. <laughs> and it's supposed yes, to be. Yes. It's, it's just, so good. I just feel like it would have turned in their heads for days and days and days. I feel like that, that there was probably that the Pharisees walked away from there. and like, Oh, God's image. That's us. I mean, yeah. like, I feel like they would have just, it, it's just so, it, that phrase right there, you can just think, and the consideration too, that Caesars were held as gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, they were considered deity. So, and so from the perspective of someone who, who held a Caesar as a deity, they're saying, render unto that little God, what's that little God, but render on to God, what is the true gods, right? Which is you, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. That's, so you are, yeah, you're to be rendered or given over to God, or not in a kind of weird sacrificial way. But there's a sense in which you you submit these coins to Him because they belong to Him because they have His image. However, you submit yourself to God because mm-hmm. you you bear His image. Okay, so, uh, yeah, let's, is there further things that we can kind of extract from this as we kind of wrestle with it in terms of meaning or how this would have, because you, how this would have hit the audience. And in the audience, you have obviously these people that have been sent to test him further that mm-hmm. are trying to trip him up. So you've got these Pharisees and Herodians. And then you've got probably his disciples and others that have now continued to kind of hang out around him because he he tends to draw a crowd. And he's in public. He's in Jerusalem. He's been to the temple a couple of times. Uh, 
I can't tell whether he's still at the temple. It seems like he may not be, but maybe. Uh, that point isn't made for us, so we don't know that that's relevant. But he is, he's got this mixed audience. How does, how do you think this is landing for these different folks? You, you kind of mentioned that it's, it's probably the case that the Herodians and the Pharisees are walking away days later going, what? Ah, like we tried to get him, we couldn't. And maybe some of them admitted how brilliant his tactics were. I don't know. I don't know if they saw it, but there's got to be some there that maybe heard him for the first time or have heard him and, and are like, yes. Well, and, he's not and, just some, he's not just some political rebel. Like he had a clear opportunity to probably get up on a soapbox yeah. and give a, a nice rebel rousing speech about down with the man, down with Caesar and, and unite all these people in their hatred against the great enemy Rome. But he didn't do it. He didn't do it. So I don't know if, if, thoughts about what the Messiah is going to do or who he's going to be, if it's, that's not lining up and they're like, wait a minute, that was a perfect opportunity and he didn't do it. He, he actually made the Pharisees and Herodians look, look bad because he's like, why are you testing me? Come here. That's an obvious answer. Like He almost was dismissive mm-hmm. in his response to their question, but it was such a my, powerful teaching moment. My translation says, why are you trying to trap me? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's what, what it is, right? Why are you trying to trap me? That, And I, I have to wonder, uh, like you said, if the crowd's still there, if, the, it, if, it's, if it's just the Pharisees and the Herodians, or if the crowd is still around, but that the crowd would listen, and I'm sure, st- you know, w- were they standing between watching the Pharisees who they've respected for so long? These are These mm-hmm. are the these are the men to be heard and they they're watching their Pharisees. They're watching their, they're watching these men of social stature. And then they're watching Jesus. You almost see him standing alone. You know, they're watching this play out and it's playing out for taxes, which is making everybody mad, you know? Right. right. You know, it's a, it's it, something you know, everyone it's, could agree to hate yes. and he doesn't join in it. And, and, and what, but when he, and their thought before they enter into that is, yeah, if, if he says we need to pay Caesar, then he's one of Caesar's men, right? And, and the yeah, and the crowd's going to not like him. And the crowd's not going to like him, and they're going to be like, oh yeah, he's one. And so they they're going to enter into that uh, expecting that that's human nature, yeah. right? We're oh, gonna, that's a good point. And then when he answers it in a way that diffuses everyone, it diffuses the Pharisees, it diffuses the Herodians, it diffuses the potential crowd watching. He, Jesus answered, lived in the tension. He lived in the Yeah, that's such a good point, Casey. He, the trap was, there was no right way to answer it directly without, without tripping up on one side or the other. Either he makes the crowd angry with him because it looks like he sides with Rome, Mm -hmm. or he, he makes Rome angry at him, which causes him to possibly face some opposition legally. And so there, there seems to be no right answer. Oh, that's good. And yet he's, he's like, <laughs> he, he nails it. Oh, I he love always, it. He always walks well. And, you know, I often think because we see, especially in Mark, a lot in Mark, we see Jesus hold that tension. And 
from a personal standpoint, when we're put in, oh, I'm jumping, always jump to application. It's okay. Chat. Hey, we, we can go there. If it's natural, just flow with it. From a personal standpoint, when we have an opportunity to pick a side, because we like to pick sides because it feels mm-hmm. safe once you pick a side. Okay, I'm with these people. And I'm we're safe. very binary. We Either we're, A or B, black or white. Like It's our it's our tribal, right. you know, and when we mm-hmm. are given opportunities where we need to pick a side and we prayerfully find ourselves right here, yeah. we can see a lot of Jesus. Amen. You know, Amen. when we can stand in this part instead of choosing a side, aside from good and evil, of course, you know, right. but... When there's two sides and, and we have that temptation to just pick one for safety or, or for power or control, whatever, and we choose to stay in the tension of Jesus, resting in the Lord, trusting in God, and choosing that middle ground that Jesus so often taught. Now, I'm not talking about moral middle ground. I'm talking about when there was no right answer, it's because he knew that the the choices that were given were not kingdom choices. Right. Yeah, it seems like some might accuse the way that Jesus holds that tension as as compromise or that he is not willing to take a hard stand or or do you know there there may be a perception that that's somehow weak or uh lacking but really when you think about it to choose one of the obvious sides is the compromise because mm-hmm. it's that's an easy out it's yeah, a that's it's a cool. predefined group, and you're immediately popular with some, and so you're kind of safe. But what Jesus does is is he doesn't do the easy out. He certainly doesn't compromise, and it's just yeah, it's just a, again he's he's teaching the ethic of the kingdom. Mm. He's the king. He's the authority. He's still teaching. Here here is life in the kingdom, and. Yeah, that that kingdom, that kingdom lens that we have to constantly be readjusting every single day. To yeah, to like we're kingdom members. We're kingdom members, and and he's illustrating here. His kingdom is so much bigger and more vast than than we often can even begin to comprehend. That yes, there's there's a certain amount of coinage that Caesar has, and you can pay it, and it seems like a pretty big deal. Yeah. But what he's saying is, every human that bears God's image is beholden in submission to God because God is the ruler of that whole realm. Caesar's it, realm is now comparably smaller, but yeah. God's realm is so much bigger because His image can be seen throughout the globe. Like, okay, okay. More than just this. It also makes me think um, in Romans, it's in the teens, like 13 or 14, somewhere in, the, in, where, somewhere in that neighborhood. It's, it's somewhere in that teen, but it's where, it's where in Romans they're talking about the authority of the state, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, we 13. don't consider that the state, and, you know, like as, as we call the church and the state, are both God-ordained institutions. Right, right. With a, with a specific mission for each one. Yep. We forget that. And so, and Jesus is saying here, let the state do what the state does. Let the state do. And yeah, in Romans 13, Paul will say the state is a messenger or a a vessel of the Lord. Like he yes. uses the state, the government, uh, to impose justice. 
the state has a has a job and the does state not has bear the sword in vain. Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother podcast, and we don't it have is. time for that it right is. now. But yeah. uh, I think, think there's some things that resonate. So one takeaway for you. Mm. One, I can't not consider the image of God in this, especially, so the beauty of Jesus's language here, where he says, whose image is this Mm -hmm. and whose inscription and the reality that whose image is this and whose Mm -hmm. inscription is on this, that, that consideration of, 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 the the Mago Day, the image mm-hmm. of God, that I am the image of God. That I mean, it, it's remarkable, and that I'm, it's inscribed upon me. Yeah, J- just as that. So I can't overlook the image of God in that. I have to. I have to see that and the beauty of that in Christ. But also, like I said, just Jesus's beautiful ability. And the more time we spend with Jesus. Mm-hmm. The more time I spend in the company of Jesus every single day, the more I learned how to not do A or B. The more that I learned how to sit in this ground of trusting in the Lord and not trusting in human institution. Mm-hmm. We, we yeah. all have a lot of chances to, that we have to pick a side a lot, that we're supposed to pick a side. We're supposed to be mad at so-and-so for what they did to so-and-so, or right. you know, we're, we're all supposed to pick a side. But the truth is, is that um, when we spend time with Jesus, a lot of times, unless it's a parent, good and evil, mm-hmm. we're, we're sitting in the tension. We're sitting, sitting in the that. tension. Uh, yeah. That's maybe a good indicator that we're growing in sanctification, growing in grace, growing in knowledge. Amen. Yeah, I think uh, like you, what resonates is the reminder of the vastness of the kingdom of God his his absolute and utter authority because the coins belong to caesar not only did they bear his image but they were his coins mm-hmm. he owned the currency and in the same way that as the currency was bearing his image as we bear god's image recognizing that that god is ultimately and i don't think we like to say it but he's our owner right in the sense that he has authority but he is a good owner. Like the he's the a, owner you want. Yeah, he's the one because he he will utilize th- you as a resource mm-hmm. and invest you in ways that that f- create value in you that far exceeds anything you could possibly do. And that is so mostly yes. in in his son that gets demonstrated in Christ that Christ now infuses value into us that was not otherwise there. And so we, we are far more valuable than we often, I think, realize in God's sight. So, so I think that, yeah, I resonate with that. And, and I would encourage anybody that as you got, read through this text, if, if there are things that stick out to you, please feel free to comment, engage with comments. If you have questions or thoughts for either myself or Casey, you can email me at takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. I will be sure that Casey gets any questions that you have for her. And likewise, I look forward to those emails. Thank you so much for, for tuning in to the podcast. Uh, I want to give a shout out to 22beans.com, 22beans coffee. Uh, they are my favorite coffee on the planet. And that's, are you drinking 22 beans? Yes, right oh, now. Oh, fantastic. So yeah, go to 22beans.com. 
if you order the shepherd's roast, that happens to be my personally designed flavor and roast, and I am super excited about that. You can buy their t-shirts, their hats. There may be a few Take and Read podcast hats there, so if you if you haven't picked up one of our hats, I'm not wearing one today, but if you want to pick one of those up, that'd be great. It always supports the podcast. And so glad to have Casey here. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks for taking the time out today. And again, what you've gotten to observe is we are are two individuals that that have been saved by grace through faith that we have been washed by the blood of Jesus. We believe this Bible to be the very inspired word of God. And and so you've got to witness two believers that think this is true and that we want to try to live in light of this truth. And if that's something that you want to, you know, find out more about, please email me again uh, at that email address, takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. Love to talk to you about that journey and questions you may have about that. But uh, I encourage you, everybody, to go take and read the Word of God. Blessings. Blessings.